All right. I want you to notice verse 16 of 2 Kings chapter 10. Says, And he said, Come with me, it's Jehu speaking, and see my zeal for the Lord. So they made him ride in a chariot. And I want you to keep your, in mind uh, Jehu pointing out his zeal for the Lord. Now, I also want you to look at verse 30. We're going to go back and look at more of this story, but I want to hit a few highlights here. But verse 30 says, And the Lord said unto Jehu, Because thou hast done well in executing that which is right in mine eyes, and hast done unto the house of Ahab, according to all that was in mine heart, thy children of the fourth generation shall, shall sit on the throne of Israel. So, what we're about to see... In chapters 9 and 10, the events of Jehu and the works that he does, while they're kind of, Jehu's kind of a crazy guy. He does some pretty crazy stuff. But understand, God says at the end, in fact, you even, when we're, we look at the way he tricks the people, it's like, was that really good form? But here it says that he had, not only did Jehu do God's will, but it was, he did all that was in his heart. In God's heart. So what Jehu did is, does in the story is good. Because of the good that he did, God made a promise to him, your children are going to sit on the throne to the fourth generation. Now, Jehu is the king in the northern kingdom. Jehu is the closest thing that Israel, the northern kingdom, ever had to a good king. Their kings were always bad. I could be mistaken on this. I think I'm right about this. But I believe Jehu's line is the only line too that lasted four generations. Most of the kings kept changing hands throughout the northern kingdom, where the, the southern kingdom, it stayed in the line of David uh, the whole time. But in the northern kingdom, it was always going back and forth because of all the rebellions. So Jehu, uh, his family had a blessing on them because of this good act that he did. But look at verse 31. It says, But Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord, God of Israel, with all his heart. For he departed not from the sins of Jeroboam, which made Israel to sin. So notice that while Jehu has done some really good stuff here, he's even received a promise from God of the kingdom being his family to the fourth generation. He wasn't interested in walking in the law of the Lord. He did not remove the golden calves that Jeroboam had caused Israel to sin with. So here's the question. Was the zeal even really for the Lord? Because if he's really zealous for the Lord... Shouldn't he be willing to get rid of the golden calves? I mean, isn't that kind of a, a gimme there? And I'm going to share some thoughts today and we're going to, about Jehu and some things that I think we can uh, accurately conclude from what the Bible tells us about his life. But also, I want to use this to help us know ourselves a little bit. Because often we give ourselves a little more credit than we deserve in some areas. And uh, I, I think there's a lot that we can learn about ourselves from looking at the story of Jehu. And I do. I think he's a fascinating character. We don't have time to look at everything the Bible says about him. But let me, let's me let hit a few highlights about Jehu. 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 20. It says, And the watchman told, saying, He came even unto them, and cometh not again. And the driving is like the driving of Jehu, the son of Nimshai, for he driveth furiously. Now, when we look at Jehu... He does seem like kind of a furious guy. He kind of seems like a crazy guy. And his driving fit his personality, doesn't it? And so when this person sees him driving, it's like, it's got to be Jehu. Look, he's driving furiously. 
What does that look like? He's running people off the roads. He's laying on the horn of people. He's, hit, he's, he's hitting a horn as soon as the light turns green, not giving people a chance to take off. And I'm not, obviously, I'm being funny there. But, you know, we know furious driving when we see it. And so Jehu, this is a guy with a big personality and one that I think that a lot of us can relate with a little bit sometimes. And, and you can't help but appreciate Jehu. And, and listen, even if you're not like this, let's just admit it, you know, we all love a colorful character, you know, on TV shows and movies. You like the, you like watching the guy who blows his top all the time. It's entertaining to watch. And when I look at the life of Jehu, while he was a good king and did a lot of good things, he's not somebody I don't know. I don't think I would have wanted to have been one of his subjects. I don't think I would have wanted to have been a part of his, a part of his kingdom because the guy had some pretty serious flaws too. But he, but either way, it's somebody who's not affected by his life choices. I can't help but look at Jehu and think, I like this guy. I find him, I find him very entertaining. Look at what it says in verse 22 of chapter 9. And it came to pass when Joram saw Jehu that he said, Is it peace, Jehu? And he answered, What peace? So long as the whoredoms of thy mother Jezebel and her witchcrafts are so many. And Joram turned his hands and fled and said to Ahaziah, There is treachery, O Ahaziah. And Jehu drew a bow with his full strength. And smote Jehoram between his arms, and the arrow went out at his heart, and he sunk down into his chariot. And listen, Ahaziah was a bad guy. And I like how it says in Jehu when he shot him, he didn't just shoot him. He drew the bow at full strength. Why? Because I think he was mad. I think he wanted to kill this guy, and he wanted to make sure he was really dead. And, you know, and he did. He shot him through the back, and it came out the chest. I mean, you know... Good image right there if you like violent stuff. And uh, Jehu did that. He was He's an intense guy. He wasn't just going to go give this guy a girl slap or something. No, he's not just going to put an arrow in him. He's going to put an arrow through him. As much as he can, he draw, draws the bow at full strength. Verse 30. When Jehu was come to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it, and she painted her face and tired her head and looked out at a window. And Jehu entered in at the gate and said, Had Zimri peace, who slew his master? And he lifted up his face to the window and said, Who is on my side? And there looked out to him two or three eunuchs. And he said, Throw her down. So they threw her down, and some of her blood was sprinkled on the wall and, and on the horses, and he trod her underfoot. So it wasn't enough that she got splatted from the fall. He ran her over too. He, he, I mean, Jehu's intense. And when he was come in, he did eat, meat, and drink. Oh, that was fun. I'm going to go get something to eat. And said... But then, you know, so after he does, he, I mean, he's driving like a maniac. He goes and puts an arrow all the way through a guy, draws, draws a bullet full strength. He has Jezebel killed. After she, she dies, her blood splatters all over the wall. He runs her over with his chariot. And then he's like, I'm hungry. I'm going to go get something to eat. I think he, I think he was hangry. Because af, notice after he eats, after he eats and drinks, it said, go see now this cursed woman and bury her. For she's the king's daughter. It's like, you know, I'm feeling a little bit better now. I guess we should show some respect. You know, I don't feel like running her over anymore. She's already dead. Let's go bury her. But, but then, you know, they found just the head and the hands left. And just like the Bible had prophesied, the dogs were going to eat her blood. And Jehu realizes this fulfillment of prophecy. And so he does. He has her violently killed, but enjoys a nice meal. And then shows some respect. Verse 7, And it came to pass, when the letter came to him, this is in chapter 10, that they took the king's son and slew 70 persons and put their heads in baskets and sent them to Jezreel. And there came a messenger and told him, saying, They have brought the heads of the king's son. And he said, Lay ye them in two heaps 
at the entering into the gate until the morning. Okay? Now, why is he doing this? He's trying to get some attention. And you know what? Laying 70 heads in two piles of king's sons is going to get some attention. So, again, Jehu, remember, Jehu did all that was in the Lord's heart. I think he was too mean. I can see why you think that, but God was pleased with what he did. You know why? Because the wickedness of Ahab, the wickedness of Israel during this time was very great. And this needed to be done. So verse 11, So Jehu slew all that remained of the house of Ahab and Jezreel, and all his great men, and his kinfolks, and his priests, until he left him none remaining. And he arose and departed and came to Samaria. And as he was at the shearing house in the way, Jehu met with the brethren of Ahaziah, king of Judah, and said, Who are ye? And they answered, We are the brethren of Ahaziah, and we go down to salute the children of the king and the children of the queen. And he said, Take them alive. And they took them alive and slew them at the pit of the shearing house. Even 42 men, neither left he any of them. And Jehu wanted no one left breathing that was in any way loyal to Ahab. He is, I mean, he is cleaning house. Verse 15, And when he was departed thence, he lighted on Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, coming to meet him, and he saluted him and said to him, Is thine heart right? As my heart is right with thy heart. And Jehonadab answered, It is. If it be, give me thine hand. And he gave him his hand, and he took him up into his chariot. Now, this is just a side note, but Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, uh, we read about his descendants in Jeremiah. If you remember the story where Jeremiah, God tells him to go into the sons of Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, and offer them wine. And remember, they refused the wine that Jeremiah offered them because of the command of their father, Jehonadab. This is, this is that man. And God was very pleased with them. And God did that as a testimony against Israel. Hey, Israel, look at the way these men are following the commands of their father. Why aren't you that way? So this is that, this is that man right here that uh, later on we see his descendants referred to. So this is a good guy uh, who had some good descendants that honored their father and is used as a great example. So that's just kind of a bonus note there that has nothing to do with the sermon. But Jehu speaking to Jehonadab, he said, Come with me and see my zeal for the Lord. So they made him ride in his chariot. Now, I want to make a special note of this line right here because I'm going to point out some things that we're going to see in Jehu's life that I believe we can often find in our own lives or in the lives of others. Where And people often do. They do like Jehu and they will proclaim their zeal for the Lord. But at the same time, you can't help but watch these people and question their zeal. Because when you look at Jehu, there is no questioning he is doing a good work in this story. But when you look at the life of Jehu, it's like, was he a good guy? Was he not a good guy? Because there's some pretty serious flaws. And we see at the end, he took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord. That doesn't sound like a good guy. But how can he not be a good guy and do all these good things right here? And so, I want you to keep all these things in mind. Because here, can a person really say they are zealous for the Lord when they're doing a good work in one area while doing a completely wicked work in another area? While they're, I mean, they are obeying this law like crazy, but they're not even regarding His law in other areas. Are those people really zealous for the Lord? And often we have this very black and white mentality when it comes to everything and Christians were sometimes the worst in this area because 
We often create, create confusion with our rhetoric and the way we say things, but I want to be very specific because I, I want us to be clear in what I'm trying to communicate tonight. So first thing, when we ask the question, are there any good people in the world? Okay. Y'all understand that the term good, it's kind of a relative term. Okay. Because if we're saying good in comparison to God and his righteousness, no, there's none good. No, not one. Okay. If we're talking about good enough for heaven, no, not one. There's none, there's none that do with good. But at the same time, if we're saying someone is good in the sense of being a benefit to society, being a good neighbor, a good person, there's many good men and women out there. Even Romans, where it says there is none good, no, not one. It says in Romans 5, 7, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. So there are good people in the world in the sense of they are good for society. They are kind. They obey laws. You know, they're, so keep that in mind when we talk about good. All right. Cause for some, they act like good is a matter of just saved and lost. Okay. That's also ridiculous because our righteousness are just filthy rags. So it's not a matter of saved and lost. In God's sight, you know, okay, where in comparison to God, none are good. But again, there are some unsaved people that are better people than some saved people. Okay? Me and my boys, we talked about a guy who used to work out at the distribution center that made no claim to be a Christian, but we always talk about how he's better than most Christians that we know. He's, he's just a really good guy, a really good worker. I would hire him for most jobs before I would hire most Christians that, that I know. I'd probably hire him for staff in this church before a lot of crusade people I know. I wouldn't. I'm just but he is, if it was just about work ethic, I mean, the guy is, is a good man. You know, he, he's, he's a good family man. A lot of good things. There's, there's a lot of people out there like that. And so, you know, understand, saved people are very capable of doing bad and unsaved people are capable of doing good. Not to merit salvation, but to be a benefit to society, to be a help. To, they can do a good work. They can, an unsaved fireman can pull someone out of the fire and save their life. And that's a good work. And they can, they can even give their life. There are soldiers that can give their life for fellow soldiers and give their life for their country and, and, uh, and, and for good causes and things like that. And, and it won't merit them heaven. But it's still a good thing that they did. And so just keep all these things in mind. But let's look at the rest of the story in 2 Kings 10. 17, because again, while I question Jehu's goodness in many areas, I am in no way saying he did not do a good work in chapters 9 and 10. The Bible is very clear. Jehu did a very good thing in chapters 9 and 10 with the work that he did. He did what was in the Lord's heart and God rewarded him for the work that he did. So uh, keep all keep all of those things uh, in mind. And so... Uh, I lost my spot here. So yeah, verse 22. And he said unto him, well, uh, let's go to verse 17. And when he came to Samaria, he slew all that remained unto Ahab in Samaria till he had destroyed him according to the saying of the Lord, which he spake to Elijah. And Jehu gathered all the people together and said unto them, Ahab served Baal a little, but Jehu shall serve him much. Now therefore, call unto me all the prophets of Baal and all his servants and all his priests let none be wanting, for I have a great sacrifice to do to Baal, 
Whosoever shall be wanting, he shall not live. But Jehu did it in subtlety to the intent he might destroy the worshippers of Baal. So this is pretty intense right here. Look at Jehu does everything to the extreme. Every, he does, every, that's his personality. That is who he is. And he is just like, I'm telling everybody, if you don't come to worship Baal, we're going to kill you. And he did that with the intent that anybody who comes, he's going to kill them. And you know what? Not only would that get rid of all the Baal worshippers, that would get anybody that's a coward and on the fence too. I wonder how many cowards showed up to this thing like, I don't, I don't want to worship Baal, but I don't want to die. And then they went there and got killed. So I, I think this was bad form. Uh, I think he did what was in God's heart. Uh, that's what the Bible says. But anyway, Jehu said, Proclaim a solemn assembly for Baal. And they proclaimed it. And Jehu sent through all Israel and all the worshippers of Baal came. And there was not a man left that came not. And they came into the house of Baal. And the house of Baal was full from one end to the other. And he said unto him that was over the vestry, Bring forth the vestments for all the worshippers of Baal. And he brought them forth vestments. And Jehu went. And Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, into the house of Baal, and said unto the worshippers of Baal, Search and look that there be here with you none of the servants of the Lord, but the worshippers of Baal only. And when they went in to offer sacrifices and burnt offerings, Jehu appointed fourscore men without and said, If any of the men whom I have brought into your hands escape, he that letteth him go his life shall be for the life of him. That's pretty intense too. You let one guy escape you die. He wanted every these people completely dead. Listen, this is zeal right here. This is some serious zeal that Jehu's got going on. And it came to pass as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering that Jehu said to the guard and to the captains, go in and slay them. Let none come forth. And they smote them with the edge of the sword and the guard and the captains cast them out and went into the city of the house of Baal. And they brought forth the images out of the house of Baal and burned them and they break down the image of Baal and break down the house of Baal and made it a drought house unto this day. Now, it's my understanding, a drought house, another word you could use for that is like an outhouse. Okay? And it's like Jehu's like, not only are we going to destroy this, we are going to desecrate it from here on out. Because you know what? That's how you ought to feel about Baal. That's how you ought to feel about false idols and things. Let me tell you, we've got some places in America I think we need to turn into a drought house. We've got some idolatrous places. Sometimes I think that's what needs to happen to the Capitol building. They need to level that place and we need to turn it into a drought house because of all the abominations that have taken place there. We've got so many places in America that need to be turned into a drought house. And never mind. I was going to but uh, I, I got I to got, I watch it. We're in, church, we're, we're in church. But those places do. They deserve to be, you know, desecrated, destroyed, forgotten. I, the idolatry is a very wicked sin that has great consequences for a nation. And so I think what Ahab did here was really good. I, this was definitely a good thing. And so verse 28, thus Jehu destroyed Baal out of Israel. So obviously after all this, we can assume Jehu is a great guy. Everything he did in this story, it was fully motivated by his zeal and love for the Lord, right? Well, I don't think so. I'm, I am not convinced that what we are seeing here was completely motivated by his zeal for the Lord and his love for the Lord. Because look, verse 29, how be it from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin, Jehu departed not from after them to with the golden calves that were in Bethel and that were in Dan. Remember, 
in Bethel and Dan, they put the two golden calves, one on the northern border, one towards the south, because he didn't want them going to Jerusalem to worship, which is where they were supposed to go. And Jeroboam got in all kinds of trouble for that. All these years have passed. Those golden calves are still there. And all of a sudden, you got Mr. Zeal for the Lord, who goes crazy on the worshippers of Baal, but he has no problem with these golden calves. He is now the, and now he's the king of Israel. He's, he's, he had been anointed before, but it wasn't like established that he was king. But now it's established that he is the king and he just ignores these golden calves that are there. He doesn't do anything about it. So verse 30, and the Lord said unto Jehu, because thou hast done well in executing that which is right in mine eyes and hast done in the house of Ahab according to all that was in mine heart. Thy children of the fourth generation shall sit on the throne of Israel. But Jehu took no heed to walk in the law of the Lord God of Israel with all his heart, for he departed not from the sins of Jeroboam who made Israel to sin. And so notice, God, God rewarded Jehu for the good he did. And if I, I, I believe his line lasted longer than any other line in the northern kingdom. Jehu was probably the only good king or the closest thing, I should say, to a good king that the northern kingdom ever had. And so, this is what I want to focus on in this message and where I kind of want to make some application. How does a man like Jehu do such a great job in one area of his life and get such a great victory and then just turn around and not take any heed to the law of God? And not remove golden calves. That's a pretty strong accusation. He took no heed to the law of God. He wasn't interested in hearing it. He wasn't interested in following it. Jehu had no interest in the law of God. But it's like, but wait a minute. Why was he so excited about Baal then? Why was he so zealous about this? Why did he do so good in this one area? And so here's what I... Again, I think we can, uh, we can assume from the scriptures and I think too we can assume this just from our own life experiences things that we've seen but just some things that I think we all need to get a hold of tonight something we all need to realize is that sometimes even though this morning we talked about how sinful our flesh is did you know that sometimes our personal will and the will of God lines up you know sometimes we're just in agreement with God now there's a lot of times we're not in agreement with God and hopefully we know to follow what God says. But you know what? There are some things that God hates that I also hate. But there's also some things that God hates that I have, I struggle hating sometimes. And a lot of, and you know, it is, it's real easy for us to be obedient when we are in agreement with God. Again, hating Baal and hating Baal worshipers, that's good. You know, that, that's what it's supposed to do. They're supposed to get rid of these people. But you know, was, Jehu, I don't know, did Jehu have some maybe past history with Baal worshippers that we don't know about? You know, was there something, because why doesn't he have a problem with the golden calf? Why doesn't he have a problem with that religion? It seems like there's, there's not really a balance here that we're seeing. But when, when, listen, whenever that happens, when our wills line up, this is great. But when our wills don't line up, are we like Christ And we say, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Do we do that? Because it appears that Jehu, he's all on board with getting rid of, you know, getting rid of Jezebel, getting rid of Ahaziah. Uh, And he certainly was on board with him being king. 
He's, and so he's all on board with getting rid of Baal and all that. But then once he's established as king, all of a sudden he doesn't care about the law of God. All of a sudden, when his will and God's will conflict, he doesn't care. And that's not right. We need to have an attitude like Christ and say, not my will, but thine be done. It's, it is great when we love and hate the same thing as God. But, you know, Matthew 5.46 says, For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? You know how easy it is for us to be nice to people that are like us or people that we like? That's easy. Publicans do that. You know, they're, they're all, they'll all, you know, salute each other, high five each other, give each other a hug and things like that. You know, that's not really impressive if we are kind to those who are kind to us. But when you love your enemies, you know who that's like? That's like Christ. These are the things that he's called us to do. And often we don't find ourselves being very zealous about those things. It's easy to be zealous when we have things in common. Matthew 5, 43, you have heard this been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you and do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. And I, I personally believe what we're seeing here is that Jehu did. He hated these people and probably for some good reasons. It's kind of like us, you know, it's, you know, do we really hate the sodomites and the reprobates just because we just love God so much? I think sometimes we just hate them because they're real easy to hate. I mean, you know, there's a lot of lost people that hate them as well. You understand that? I mean, and obviously, I'm not saying it's it's wrong. You know, it makes sense. I mean, who, like, everybody still hates pedophiles. Why? Because, we're, you know, fortunately, we're still allowed to hate them in society, but obviously, it's easy to hate people who are so different, people who are, are truly wicked. That's, that's easy. So often, we can be like really zealous about that. We're real zealous about hating the sins that we hate, but we struggle to hate the sins that God hates. So it's just like, is your hatred for these, you know, these people, this sin or whatever, is this motivated by your love for God or is it just motivated by your flesh? Because again, we, for example, too, you know, we all hate, you know, we all have hatred for other people's pride, other people's arrogancy. God hates pride and arrogancy too, but do we hate it when it's ours? You know, often we don't, you know, and that's kind of hypocritical, isn't it? Then the reality is, if we were zealous for the Lord's sake, then there's going to be a balance in our hatred. So when you see Jehu declaring his zeal for the Lord, and he's passionate about Baal. And we're going to see some other examples too, I think, why I think he could have been motivated by that. But we see him giving no regard to the golden calves. It calls some questions into mind. And so we need to watch out for that. And so just, again, I don't believe we should ever discourage people's zeal. But at the same time too, I'm talking for you personally, don't ever get thinking too highly of yourself because you are zealous in some areas you know, are, is it because your zeal is for the Lord or is it just because you guys are agreeing today? Because how do you get when you disagree? That's what's important because sometimes we aren't going to line up. And so when, because what happens when your will and God's will conflicts? Because that, I promise you, is going to happen. In James 4, 6, 
It says, but he giveth more grace. Therefore, he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Okay, and here's the thing about submission. Okay, you know, you know it's not really submission if you have to be forced into doing something. A, a submission, that's like a voluntary thing where you, you make a conscious choice. I am going to surrender my will to the will of someone else. That, that's what it is. Okay, and, that, and, and wives, that's what you do when you obey your husband and you submit to your husband. Obviously, there are going to be times when your will and your husband's will are going to conflict. And what you should do when that kind of thing happens is you should be willing to submit and to allow the will of the one in authority to take priority over your own will. That, that's, what, that's what submission is. Submission does not mean we are always in agreement. And sometimes, you know, husbands and wives are in agreement. But when you disagree, what happens? So are you super submissive when you guys agree, but then you're not submissive when you disagree? Well, if that's the case, you're not really submissive, are you? Oh, you don't understand. I'm submissive to my husband 99% of the time. Because 99% of the time, we agree. Yeah, but if you don't, when it's that one time, you're not really submissive. You just were lucky to find somebody that you agree with most of the time. And often, we're the same way with God. We are really submissive when me and him agree. But when we disagree, we just completely disregard it. You know what? You're not really submissive then. That's just, you're just fortunate. You happen to agree with God in a lot of things. And there are, there's things that we all agree with. There's things in the Bible that we like. We like in Leviticus 20.13. But we don't really care for love your enemies that much. You know, we, there's, there's all, we all have the verses that we like. We want to run glory laps when we hear but then there's the ones that we just, oh man, I was hoping it wasn't, I, I hate when they preach on that. We're, we, all, we all have that. Romans 7.22 says, For I delight in the law of God after the inward man. Listen, the inward man is always in agreement with God. That's the great thing about having the Spirit of God. That's the great thing about being saved. You have that inward man that always agrees with the Scriptures. But your flesh... Your flesh rarely does. Sometimes it does. I don't think you have to be saved to love your children. I don't think you have to be saved to love your wife. That's natural. That's normal. You don't have to be saved to love your friends and love other people that are like you. You don't have to, But at the same time, when it comes to these things that God wants us to do, our outward man is not interested in those things. But the inward man is. And Paul said, But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity... The law of sin, which is in my members. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? So Paul, he, he did, he had that conflict that was within him. And it was Paul's desire to always follow the inward man because he wanted to always be in agreement with Christ. He didn't want to just be in agreement. You know, he didn't want to just be zealous for Christ when they agreed. He wanted to be zealous for Christ for real across the board and so he delighted in god after the inward man but boy paul recognized there's some stuff my flesh doesn't like there are some things that my flesh is not in agreement with god on but you know what forget my flesh that was his attitude and that's because paul was truly submissive and he was zealous for the lord paul was a man who was zealous before he was saved and he did a lot of bad stuff 
And he carried that zeal over into salvation and he put it in obedience to God and it caused him to do a lot of great things. And so, do we behave the same way when we find out God hates things we love or that God loves things we hate? If we really are zealous for the Lord, then we are. We're going to, when it, all, you know, all of a sudden, we're going to get real fired up about those things if we're truly zealous for the Lord. And so I personally believe if Jehu's zeal would have really been for the Lord, I think too, after he got done getting rid of Baal, he'd be like, all right, them golden calves are next. We need two more drought houses in, in this area. Let's go and let's take care of those things. But he didn't do it. He ignored it. He disobeyed God. He took no heed to the law of God. And so just kind of a few thoughts about Je- that I have about Jehu. And that's one, I believe that Jehu was an amazing individual. A interesting individual who did some great things for God. I also believe that when Jehu and God were on the same page, great things happened and God was pleased with what Jehu did. But you know what else I think about Jehu? He was kind of a hypocrite. He really was. He's kind of a hypocrite. He's so zealous about Baal, but he doesn't care about the golden calves. Also, Jehu... He, he seems like he might be a little self-obsessed as well when we look at him. Because, again, while I, while I don't doubt the good that was accomplished, I do question the motivation. Because in 2 Kings chapter 9, too, God specifically had him anointed to be king. And he was told by the prophet too, to go take out Joram. He was, he was told to do that. So maybe, maybe he was really passionate like this because he really wanted to be king. So he's like, man, I just got anointed to be king. I got to go take these people out. Let's get it done. Maybe the reason he wanted to get rid of all who were loyal to Ahab wasn't so much because of his love for the Lord, but because he's like, I don't want to have to deal with any rebellions. That's, and see, you know, again, either way, it served God's interest at this time, for Jehu to do all these things. This is what God wanted. And God used Jehu in a special way. But but the reality is, I can't help but think there might have been a little bit of selfish motivation here when as soon as he becomes established as king, after he has defeated all of, not just God's enemies, his enemies. Because guess what? Sometimes our personal enemies and God's enemies are one and the same. And isn't that great? Because then we can hate him, right? But... What happens when it's just our enemies? You know, do we hate them the same way? Uh, you know, are, are we hating them then when we're not really supposed to? The, you know, the truth is, sometimes our interests and God's interests line up. And, then, and if we're only zealous then, it's not really a zeal for the Lord. It is, it's kind of a self, uh, it's, it's kind of motivated by self. And so sometimes, People have even carnal motivations too for going into the ministry. That that is that is a reality. Because for example, too, some people, you know, they like the idea of leading a church. They like the idea of some kind of authority and power, and you know, and just there are there are some carnal motivations that are out there. But it, but the reality is, you know, I personally think people who are motivated by carnal things are always going to end up being disappointed. They, and they will either be disappointed and they will give up or they will not be able to admit they made a bad uh, you know, choice 
and they will start doing very manipulative things to get those carnal things that they wanted. And that happens in a lot of churches. But, um, you know, so we, we definitely want to, want to watch out for that kind of thing because there are, there's, there are, there are pastors of large churches, large ministries, a lot of who their motivation is to serve the Lord and to advance the cause of Christ. For sure. But there are, there's a lot of guys that are out there. They see these large churches doing all these large works and they're thinking, I could benefit from that. And so they do, they set out to build a big church, they, to build a soul winning church, to build a church that has the right doctrine because they're thinking, I can benefit from it in some way. That's not a good thing. Because the problem is, as, as soon as something comes up and you've got to make a tough choice and your will and God's will doesn't line up, there's a good chance you're going to compromise. There's a good chance you're going to do the wrong thing. And we got to watch out for that. And so sometimes we just need to learn to recognize, you know what, if, if you know, is my motivation, is my zeal something that's really for God or is this something for myself? And so when people do good things for the wrong reason, it was still a good thing. You know, some people, they're going to go soul winning because they want people to see them going soul winning. Now, was the soul winning that they did good? Well, of course. But, you know, that's not a zeal. That's not your zeal for the Lord motivating you there. And the problem is, if that's the only thing that gets you out there, what are you going to do when there is nothing to gain for you doing it? That's not good. That's, that's, you're not going to last. It's not going to last forever. And so for, uh, Philippians 1.15 says, Some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife. Some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. So again, when Christ is being preached, that's always a good thing. Let's never take away from that. Let's never discourage that. When somebody is being zealous for the Lord, don't throw a wet blanket on what they're doing. Okay, We, we, we don't ever want to be that person to throw a wet blanket on good that someone's doing, but I'm speaking when it comes for yourself. When it comes to yourself, you, we need to search our hearts and make sure that we are actually zealous for the Lord. If we're zealous for the Lord, then we're going to be balanced and we're not going to get ourselves in trouble. And so understand too, Jehu said the problem with him not wholly following the Lord while he was good, while a promise was left to four generations in his kingdom, did you know all those kings after him were all bad? Guess what? We don't see any of the future generations doing the good that their father did. Because you know what they did? They went along with their will too. And their will and God's will wasn't lining up. And so they just, they just did bad. All, of the, all the ones after him, they all just did bad. And in Mark, Mark 12.30, it says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And when we blatantly disregard things like this, there's going to be consequences that will come on us and that will come on the next generation. We are leaving ourselves wide open for the attacks of the devil. And that's what happened with Jehu. And so I think all of us in here, 
would do well in our life in areas where we feel like we're doing good, and you probably are doing good, and thank God you're doing good in those areas, but we need to remember the first and great commandment is to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We need to remember Jesus Christ is to be the focal point of everything. We, ought, we, we need to keep Him first and foremost in our hearts and minds because if we don't, even though we're doing all these good works, we can forget the Lord. We can start, and, and if we do, eventually they're going to go away. Eventually the good works are going to stop. And Jehu did. He went on a mission and good was accomplished, but we don't really see more good happening after that. Because there, there was, there was, there was some hypocrisy there. And again, God used them. Absolutely. You, you can't take away the good that God did. And often too, we see people do something really good and then we assume everything they do must be good because they're good. Well, no, not necessarily. Not necessarily. Sometimes their will and God's will is just lining up. But what the important thing is what happens when they conflict. And your will and God's will, I promise you, is going to conflict a lot because of your flesh. And you need to learn to get your heart towards God and to submit every time. And if you do, God will not only then bless you, but I believe he'll bless the future generations. We've got to get back to thinking about the next generations. It was the previous generation that thought the rapture was going to come in their lifetime that forgot about us. And look at what is happening in churches in our generation today. No, nobody was. Th- we're not supposed to be here. It's way past 1988. We're not supposed to be in, in their minds. We've got to get back to thinking that way so we can k- keep this thing going I don't know when the Lord's coming back. And I, I'm, done, I'm done pretending, you know, like there's no way, there's absolutely no way, according to my understanding of prophecy, it's got to be in my lifetime. No, I, I'm, I'm done thinking that way. I'm going to plan on it not being in my lifetime. I hope it is. I, I, I hope I'm wrong. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to plan on it being way in the future. And I've got to think about my kids. I've got to think about my grandkids. Because if we're here for another couple hundred years, I don't want it to keep going the direction it's going. It's, it's getting bad. We've got to turn the tide somewhere in this country. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word, the lessons we can learn. Thank you for characters like Jehu. I pray we'll learn from the good that we saw him do. But Lord, I pray you'll help us to learn from his mistakes as well. Lord, help us to have a zeal that truly is for you. Help us to uh, have a love for you and uh, a zeal for you that whenever uh, our will and your will conflicts, that we will just completely disregard our own will And we'll follow uh, what you do. And I pray you bless everyone for it. In your name we pray. Amen.